Kids ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You. This is episode 27, The Power of Race. Hey, everybody. Man, I got so much cool feedback after the episode last week. Last week's episode was with James Kelly, and he talked about his drug addiction. It was amazing to me how many people reached out that didn't even necessarily have a drug addiction, but they themselves or their spouse or someone they love has an alcohol addiction or a pornography addiction. And it really got me thinking that I wanted to let you know that in the month of March, I'm going to have a week where I do a three-part series specifically on pornography addiction. It's something that is so dang common, but isn't isn't talked about a ton, and we are going to talk about it a ton here because it's important. Uh, there's so much shame surrounding it. There's there's a lot of couples and individuals that are just feeling lost and scared and alone, and so I am really excited. We're going to do an episode having to do with betrayal trauma, and then we're going to do one talking specifically to the addict, and then the third one will be the couple together. So this will be the perspective from a couple dealing with pornography addiction in their marriage, and I think it's going to be incredible. So don't miss out on that. That's coming up in March. Our review for this week is called Inspiring with five stars. It's from h.alex.j. This podcast warms my heart. As a practicing therapist, this is the kind of content I refer my patients to fill their lives with. Thank you for shedding a light on what is so often left in the dark. That is really cool that a therapist is is sharing this with their clients. That is huge, and it makes me think about some of my darkest times in therapy and things. I can see how this could have been helpful in helping me not feel alone when things were at their worst and seeing hope beyond it. Anyways, I hope it's helpful. And if you are one of those clients, I'd, I'd love for you to reach out to me and give me any of your feedback, what's, what's helpful. I appreciate reviews and ratings on all and any site. It helps spread the podcast. So if you haven't, if you'll rate and subscribe, it's cool to see our community broadening and I'm really excited about it. A quick note before I start the interview, I am Caucasian or white, and John, who I'm going to be discussing the topic of race with, is African American or black. And if you're easily offended by race stereotypes, I can't promise that John and I are perfect at being politically correct. So there's that. Let's go over to the interview with John, The Power of Race. Sweet. Okay, so we have John Jefferson here with us. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks for having me. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, your hobbies, your family, whatever you want? I'm a Georgia boy. I spent most of my life there. I'm the oldest of five. So I have two brothers and two sisters. Shout out to Daniel, Shannon, Shanti, and Little Willie. Love you guys (laughs) to death. I have been in Utah for, I don't know, five years or so. Mm -hmm. My memory is probably not that great. You can ask my wife. She'll be like, yep, he doesn't know anything. (laughs) She's wonderful, by the way. Uh, we've been married five years now, um, and we have a little girl named Eliza Jean. Um, we call her little Jeannie most of the time because of her attitude. Takes after my mom. <laughs> so cute, um, little Jeannie. Well, your wife's really cool too because her name's Julie too. So I wasn't gonna plug that, but you had to say it, didn't <laughs> I you? I had to say it. <laughs> She's another Julie. <sighs> I had a thing for Julies. We're not gonna go into that. That's another can of worms. <laughs> hey, Rob's had a thing for Julies too, right, babe? Uh, just one. <laughs> Just one. Yeah. 
But as far as hobbies, when I have time for them, when I'm not a zombie after work and make sure the family's taken care of, I like to draw and be creative and usually just unwind trying to catch up on my nerd shows like The Flash and stuff like that. And cool. I love nerd shows. Don't you also have some cool collections, too? Uh, I have seen a tour of your house, so... You just gotta call me out on everything, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I do have a man office, finally. Um, it's a hodgepodge of what I could make room for. So, you know, there's anime in there. There's my wrestling belts that I have, my trophies, and, you know, some art here and there. Yeah, I'm a nerd. It's okay. It's I cool. accept it. Well, especially because you're really good at art. It's cool, you know? Oh, see, now you're just going to make me blush. Yeah, I'm trying. Okay, let's jump into it. And I was actually going to make a joke with that, and I may be totally inappropriate, but I was going to say, can black people blush? I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I don't think we can, (laughs) but if we did, we'd probably turn purple. (laughs) Okay, good. Wait, let's just jump in this with that politically correct joke that I just made. Um, (laughs) Okay, first of all, I invited you on the podcast and it was hard for me to decide what we should talk about because I know from your story and from my friendship with your wife and with you that you have just a wealth of knowledge in several different areas uh, because of the experiences you had. And so we kind of talked through like, what is your, what do I really want you to talk about? And it was hard to pick. But what I decided is I want you to talk about being a black man here in Utah because that is perspective I don't have, obviously, for two reasons. Not a man, not black. Wait, what? (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) I just, I think you have a really cool attitude, but also a very realistic attitude about it. And so I kind of want to just pepper you with some questions that I, I want to know for myself to handle things in a good way. And also, I think that there's a lot of people that, that feel like me. Tell me about your experience. You said you grew up, you're a Georgia boy. You grew up in mm-hmm. in Georgia. And racial-wise, Georgia's super different than Utah. I'm going to take a wild guess. Yeah, you'd probably be right on that guess. Okay. So tell me about growing up in Georgia and then what it was like to move here to Utah five or so years ago. So I grew up in Kingsland, Georgia. Shout out to Canyon County, if anybody ever hears this. <laughs> um, small little town. I miss the food. The food is really great out there. You got to love the soul food. Oh my gosh. It's like heaven in your mouth. It's not like Popeye's, right? No, no. (laughs) No, don't get me wrong. Popeye's is great. I like Popeye's, but you can't beat soul food. But growing up in Georgia was definitely interesting. I didn't have a lot of experience with dating out there. I did have a girl I was dating. Well, it wasn't even that long, but there was a comment that her dad made my life was threatened saying, if I see you with that, you know, that word we don't call a black person unless you want to get eye Jamie. She called me that and I was like, okay. So was the girl white then? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So dad was white. Yeah. So a lot of kind of old thinking back there and it wasn't everywhere around there, but it was a lot. You could definitely feel that there. But I have a lot of good memories and feelings of growing up in Georgia, but it's definitely different than Out here, I would say, like out here, I didn't know what to expect, especially when you come to Utah and you hear it's Mormon Central. Oh, I can't say that anymore. Oh, dang. The Uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Central. Yeah, yeah, that word. We need to come up with an acronym. (laughs) The church. The church is true. (laughs) Um, It's been different out here. Like everybody is, I guess, overly friendly. That's not a bad thing, but walking down the street, people are definitely more eager to say, hey, how's it going? Smile and wave at you. I guess I've also learned it's it's a little bit of a challenge out here, too, because we're, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm gonna quote something I heard at work. We're a rare delicacy out here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's interesting how people kind of try to walk on eggshells, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. You know, for example, like they'll try to describe me and one of my coworkers at work, and we're the only brothers there. And by brothers, you mean black people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come on, you speak the language. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> the brothers. Hip, there. The brothers. <laughs> I don't speak the language. That's why you're here to educate me, because I don't speak the language. I'll convert you. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I, I would if I could, but Rob says he's half black, but... Shout out to Rob. He's a brother. Can I say something now, or... Yeah, come on over. You got to come over to the microphone, though. No, I'm on another podcast. Well, we'll see. We'll see what you have to say, if it's any good. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> what were we going to say? I'm just like, hey... Come say, come say, hey, Rob claims he's half black. Ain't that right, babe? That's right. You hear that bass in his voice? How about your boy? <laughs> Wait, did you dunk? I used to. Oh, snap. He's a dunking machine. I know, at six feet. Anyways, this isn't a brag thing about Rob. Rob actually, in fact, is not black. He's very white looking, but... Yeah, whatever. We don't need to get into that. Speaking of political correctness... Sorry, we got on a tangent with that Rob. That was my bad. It's okay. I was just going to say about the experience at work when they try to describe, you know, because I work in sales and we're on commission. So, like, if we work with someone, we like to say, you know, who did you work with? So, they'll be, like, very quietly, um, I, uh, he was tall. He, he had long hair, which I don't have long hair at all. He, he had glasses. And they're like, okay, more? He was black. <laughs> Is that okay to say? And I just laugh. I'm like, okay, that's how you describe me. But it's like, you don't have to walk around it. Like, it is what it is. It's how God made me. And I embrace it. Well, and it's almost like making it a weird thing makes it seem like there's something wrong with it then. Like, if you have to be secretive about it, it kind of implies it's such an emotionally loaded thing. And I understand why it got to the point, given the history between black and white people. Like, obviously, there needs to be respect there. But it is tricky sometimes because it's like, well, if we could somehow just make this a non-emotional thing, it wouldn't be made into this this thing that it, it feels like it shouldn't have to be. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, it's tricky. There, it's, it's, it's a really rough history, and I can't... I can't judge anybody for feeling uncomfortable given that history, but it seems like there's change to be made that would help everybody. Oh, would yeah. you agree with that? For sure. So given that situation, say I come into your work and I'm looking for you and they're like, who are you looking for? And I can't remember your name. From your point of view, if you overheard this, if I'm like, well, he's black, is that going to rub the wrong way though? No. If I'm like, no, he has glasses and he's black. I mean, if I were living in... I don't know, Virginia or somewhere where there's a lot more African-American population and I was the only white girl that worked somewhere, I feel like that would be the common thing for them to be like, well, she's the only white one. Does that come off weird? No. You don't think so? I don't think so, but I'm more laid back when it comes to that stuff than most people. It is what it is. Like, I'm like one of two black salesmen at the store, so it's something to point me out. Right. If you can't remember my name. Is it okay to call black people black? Or is African-American better? I know you can't talk for every black person in the whole entire world. (laughs) Black culture, don't hate me for this. It depends on who you ask. I'm good either way. Cool. Well, and I do know there's some people don't like being called white, I guess, because they feel like it's kind of derogatory. Like, they want Caucasian, which maybe I grew up under a rock, so I don't totally get all of that. I just want to say the right thing and not have anybody be mad at me. What are some struggles with living in Utah as someone that's black? What are some of the challenges? Or are there any? I would say there are. You stand out more, if that mm. makes sense. Uh-huh. 
I said walking down the street, people are more friendly and things like that. But then depending on who I talk to, they're like, oh, where are you from? You're not from Utah, are you? I'm like, no, I'm from Georgia. Oh, but I guess other challenges is just, especially being in a biracial family, I, I always worry about, you know, how somebody's going to treat my child. Is this going to be a safe environment for her? Things like that. And I feel like for the most part, depending on which part of Utah you go to, as far as where we live now, up in Layton, I feel like it's a good area. Like we've got great friends here. No one really, I guess, looks down on us. No. And they can't look down on me anyway. I'm bigger than everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My dad grew up in New Jersey in the 60s. He had tons of friends that were black and stuff that like kept him from getting beat up at different times. And there was just like a lot of really crazy stuff that went down at his high school during that time. Or maybe that was in Chicago. I don't know. He lived in both Trenton area and Chicago. But I know it was really rough in the 60s. But growing up in Utah, for me, I'd hear those stories, and they're just these foreign stories that I, I just don't get. Why why would that ever be a thing? And, and that could never happen here, or whatever it is. But then I even remember once driving south, I think it was down to Arizona for my niece's funeral, and we stopped at this outdoor, it was like a little outdoor shopping hut or something mm -hmm. by a gas station. And we stopped there and we met this guy and we all, we, to this day, we call him racist Earl. We just made up that name for him. <laughs> but he was the craziest, most racist guy going off about how Obama never should have been president. And all, like, I will not even repeat the things he said, but I seriously couldn't believe it. I felt like I was in some crazy film from long ago. I couldn't <laughs> believe there was someone in America that still talked the way he did. Anyways, I made a big deal about it. I was like, I'm not buying anything from you. I'm done. Nah, nah, nah. You know, I like said my piece or whatever, right? <laughs> my little white girl piece from Utah. I just like could not believe it. But I learned, no, it still does exist some places. And I think marrying Rob, where he's from a suburb outside of Philly, he was the only white player on his on his basketball team in high school. And their team was really, really good, but they didn't have a lot of money in general. And he talks about just one team that they played that would always kind of give them trouble and like slur things on the court, like talk about the black players like they were monkeys and things like that. And it would always mm. make things really heated. And I hear that. And once again, I just I go back to like Forrest Gump and I'm like, that still happens. Rob's like, yeah, it still happens. It still happens. Anyway, sometimes I think we can be pretty clueless depending on where we grow up. And that way, I'm glad. I hope that doesn't happen as much in Utah. But I think it's important for us to remember if someone has a chip on their shoulder that's black, I don't really blame them. <laughs> have there been people in your life that have showed you compassion or connected with you that have made the transition coming to Utah where there aren't very many black people and where you do feel like you're under a microscope some of the time made that transition easier? I think we kind of have to go back to, to Georgia because there were people there that kind of shaped me into the, the man I am and I'm becoming. We kind of have this thing, I don't know if it's just the South or if it's, you know, part of, you know, the black culture where we just kind of bring you in, even if you're not really family. My mom was working at Walmart and she was friends with this lady, Carmen, and her husband, Lance. And I went over there one night and we just started playing NFL Blitz, like video games and things like that. And we just kind of connected and they just immediately were like, you're our nephew. And they were always like such a good influence on me, just showing me like a strong marriage, like strong foundation, things like that. And I never looked at them as a strong black couple. I just looked at them as a strong couple and something that I wanted to emulate. And it was good to have that kind of influence around me. Like even going back to like my parents, my mom has probably got one of the biggest hearts that I've ever known in my life. 
And that's probably why my heart is so big and why I like to just bring people in. And my dad is good with people too. But I feel like my kindness I got from her, my handiness, like being able to do things I got from my dad. So, you know, you give and take from both your parents. And people like, I can go on and on, list of people. We only have so much time. But as far as people that have been out here, like my wife's family has been really great. I think they were excited to have a brother in their family. When she and I started, I think when we were dating in the engagement process and things like that, like I connected with her nieces and nephews like almost instantly. I'm an honorary cousin now when we go to like family reunion and things like that. And it's just that love has been nice to have. I don't look at myself as black per se. I look at myself as, hey, I'm John. I'm here. Accept me for who I am. Because my friends, they were kind of jerks. Growing up, they would say, oh, John, you're the whitest black guy we know. What the heck does that even mean? (laughs) How can I act a color just because I'm not like your stereotypical, like what you see in Hollywood, the stereotype of, yo, what's up? How's it going? Yeah. Word, my blank. I talk more educated and things like that. Not saying that's a bad way to be, but... I guess because I'd made a decision earlier on to carry myself a certain way, it made me not fit into that cookie cutter mold. And just kind of all of that has helped me to be able to deal with things that I've dealt with in my life. And I think that's what makes you such an interesting person with such a cool perspective is you don't come across to me as someone that feels the need to like fit any sort of status quo. You just are doing what feels right and what feels good and and you don't stress about the rest. We kind of talked about this for a minute, but there's so much emotional baggage over race everywhere, even though I do feel like we don't have as much exposure to it here in Utah, but especially between the black and white community. And like we talked about for good reason, I was in Memphis visiting my sister a year or two ago, and we went to the Civil Rights Museum. It's an incredible museum, but in the museum, they take you through these rooms, and the first room is the African slaves brought over in the boat. Mm. And I mean, they show you the square footage that these slaves had to be put in, and they and the, you can hear the cries of them over the speaker, and they make it a really real experience for you. That's how it starts. And then it moves through the whole civil rights movement, and you go to the hotel where Martin Luther King was shot and you hear his speech and you hear all of these things and you see the Ku Klux Klan and it's so emotionally intense and incredible and inspiring and so painful that it was mind-blowing to me and I felt so much more about black history than I've ever felt in my life. But it was also crazy to me to look around and see African-American mothers and fathers with their little children explaining to them the things going on in the films, explaining the things going on in the walls. And I felt so almost humiliated for my own race being there watching this and thinking about how different it would be to explain that to your child as someone that's black rather than someone that's white because someone that's you know white we can say it's this terrible thing that happened to these people and but for you or as long ago as that was it's still people didn't like the color of our skin your skin like you talked about your daughter and i can see how that's that's not something to just ignore and like swipe aside like it did happen right do you have any feelings on that Ooh. <laughs> oh man, you're gonna make me cry. Big guys don't cry, okay? Rob Unless you're Rob, Rob cries. Rob cries the whole time. <laughs> I, I'm very proud to be black African-American and the struggles that we've gone through, the progress that we've made, we still have a long way to go. And it's not just black per se, They're, all the races I feel have a long way to go. There's racism with, you know, against Asians, against Hispanics, things like that. and. It's actually surprising how much I hear that in my everyday like interactions with people, and I don't think they're aware of what they say. If I had to share anything with, like, with my kid as far as our culture and things like that, 
I want to not necessarily focus on all the hate that we experience, but all the progress that we made, like all the movements we have, like, you know, your Martin Luther Kings, your Rosa Parks, your Malcolm X, you know, people like that, that kind of pioneered and have helped America try to get to where it was great, if that makes sense. I feel like we're kind of going backwards nowadays. I won't get into that. I want her to know, you know, black is beautiful, white is beautiful, Asian, brown, green, purple, whatever you are, like everybody needs to be loved and not treated differently. It's funny because I was actually talking to my wife about just kind of letting her overlook some things that we were talking about for this podcast. And she was kind of painting a picture for her experience growing up. Because if you're, as you're aware, she has hearing aids. Mm -hmm. So she's had some challenges to overcome too of people kind of treating her differently. We kind of relate on those things. You can't really know that from her right away because her hair like hides it. She's very fluid in her language and how she acts until you like, talk in her bad ear. And then she's like, I yeah. didn't hear anything, yeah. which it happens. I do it all the time. I've done it to her too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm not thinking. You need to talk to her looking at her. I may or may not use that to my benefit to get away <laughs> with saying stuff I shouldn't. Yeah, I exactly. love you, Julie. Everybody has a difference. Everybody has a flaw. But we're all human. We're all brothers and sisters in God's eyes. I want my child to know she is loved and she comes from a long lineage of pioneers, mothers, fathers, daughters, sisters. We put labels on groups sometimes, and I think it can help us because we want to feel like we belong to something. Everybody wants to belong somewhere, so it feels good to be a part of a group. But the problem is, is when those labels, instead of connecting us to each other, including the other groups, foster disconnection and isolation of the groups, then all of a sudden those labels are working against us instead of for us. So for example, if we see ourselves as I'm a white woman, that's what I am, I'm gonna put myself over in this category over here. There's this wall that can't really be penetrated to get past that then because this is where I am. You are a black man, this person is an Asian, homosexual, whatever it is. <sighs> These subcategories can actually end up, instead of unifying us, which I think is the hope, it can really push us apart. What do you think we could do to make sure that these labels don't create disconnection? Hmm. It's a hard one, right? That is a hard one. Wow. Can't make this easy for a guy, can you? Nope. I brought up the collecting thing. I could go all night. <laughs> but this is the meat of it, right? Like, this is what I think about. It's hard to escape those labels because... When you look at someone, you immediately, and we're, we're just human, we're built this way. Like immediately you look at someone, you're going to think something about them, how they're dressed, how they care of themselves, the color of their skin. Like, oh, they have that kind of hair. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, they're black. Oh, they have these kind of eyes. Oh, they wear glasses. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lady come in and she was a mom, but she was coming in like her sweat. She wasn't well kept and she walked the floor and she got ignored and she shouldn't have been ignored, but because the way she carried herself instead of dressing like clean cut or whatever, whereas they'd be like, oh, they have money. Cause she had money, she had money to spend. She was here to buy a certain piece. And because she was treated poorly based off of perception, she walked and that complaint went to the managers. And we don't need to be that way. Like we can't judge anyone. I can only speak for myself on how I try to go about things. And I hope that maybe somebody else can maybe take a little bit of that and maybe implement that in their own day-to-day -day activities. I don't try to judge anyone. I know it's hard to shut off that part of our brain of the natural man. I have a nickname for a reason at work. It's, it's Huggy Bear because <laughs> I am like a big teddy bear. I walk in, I see the ladies in the office. I know they have to deal with all the ugliness of customer service. I give them hugs, I say hi, things like that. I've even hugged customers. 
I didn't plan for that to happen. It just happened. I think that's just part of me. It's just natural. It's just you. I try to make it a point to make sure that at least I'm doing my part to make sure that whoever I interact with is having a good day. They know that I'm not trying to just get through the process to make a quick sale. Like I want you to feel like you can at least have a conversation with me and you left thinking, oh, that John guy, he was good. He was fun. We can chat. I'm not here just to get the sale. I'm actually here for the human interaction. I can get a sale from the next person if it's just going to be a quick one, especially because of how I grew up feeling like I was a very shy guy. I don't even like talking that much now. And this is probably more talking than I normally do on a normal basis outside of work. I didn't want people feeling how I felt growing up of being scared. I was a crybaby. I cried because someone took my mechanical pencil and dumped out the light on my desk. I was a baby. I would cry now if someone took that, I think. <laughs> hurt my feelings. Now something like that wouldn't hurt me. I have thicker skin. I've been through a lot of stuff. I don't sweat the little stuff anymore. And I want people, if they get nothing else out of this conversation that we're having this podcast, to know that... There are people out there that want you to feel good about yourself, that we're not going to judge you based off of your sex preference, your religion, this, that, and the other. We can talk about anything. I don't really care to talk about politics and religion like when I'm at work, but it always comes up. I'll do it with you if that's what you need. But I just want people to know that there is kindness out in the world, especially with all this ugliness going on. And I want to do my part in that if I can, at least make someone smile, even if I'm being a dork and just giving somebody a high five, it kind of puts down that wall of, he's a salesman. He's here for one thing. I'm not. Yeah. Well, I am. I'm here to make you happy. <laughs> yeah. And hope we all make money in the process. But... I, mean, I hope. I'd like to eat too. But, yeah. You know. We talked about being black, obviously, in a predominantly white community. You also talked about being really shy growing up as a kid. And I know also that within your family, you've done a lot of firsts. I think you were the first one to graduate college. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You came from a lot of divorce in your family. Yeah. That was fun. I don't really fault my parents. I figured they tried to make it work. They did. They were married, divorced, then married again, and divorced, which it's hard for a kid to handle. And I think that played a lot of roles on my mental state at that time. And it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth as far as marriage. I assumed that was what was supposed to happen. I made a conscious choice, especially when Julie and I were talking about getting married and getting serious. And I was like, I'm not in this for it to end. You know, and again, I'm not putting any salt on my parents or anything like that. I love them to death. They've done the best that they can for me and trying to teach me and shape me and mold me every way they can. <laughs> my mom, every time I talk to her on the phone, no matter what we're talking about, she can sense if something's off with me and I can do the same with her. She won't tell me because she doesn't want me to worry because she's so far away. But she always makes sure that at the end of the conversation, she says, I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I love you and Julie. You're a great couple. I'm proud of my little Eliza. And I'm like, that means a lot. And That's my, huge. My dad says it in his own way, but my dad is kind of more of that tough love of like, you've got the skills, use them. I'm waiting for you to show me what you can do. He's saying he's proud of me in his own way. He won't come out and say it because, you know, big guy, macho, but I love him. Can you imagine if every parent in the world would tell their kid that every day? I'm proud of you. I love you. You're going to do good things. I mean, how much that would change the suicide rate alone. Oh my goodness. Right? If you just had someone to tell you that every day. Going back to, so you've done a lot of firsts, right? You mm -hmm. got married. You're staying married. You joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. How long ago? 2007. 11 years ago-ish? Yeah. And you moved to Utah. Ooh, that was scary. <laughs> you graduated college. You've been doing a lot of things that weren't necessarily the path that was already etched out for you. Mm -hmm. 
with all of those experiences combined with what we talked about with being a minority in a predominantly white, sometimes can be ignorant culture. How has all of that given you empathy for other people? All my experiences, I guess, have given me empathy for others to be able to to relate better, to kind of not think about myself in situations, to think about my fellow man more. I feel like I can relate to people on different, so many different levels that I think that's why it's easy for people to talk to me. Not to toot my own horn, but I think that's some gifts that I was given, and I can share those with people. I totally agree. So even someone that is going through completely different challenges or even victories, you can relate with because you know what it feels like to feel alone. You know what it feels like to feel different, right? Mm -hmm. To feel scared, to feel a lot of those intense emotions on a, on a pretty deep level, I think, with all you've been through. If there's someone listening that's struggling because they are feeling different, they're feeling alone, what message would you give to them? Know that you are loved. Know that, you know, Heavenly Father loves you. There are people in your life that you may not be aware of that have got your back. You know, don't focus on the negative of I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome. I'm not strong enough. I'm, you know, I'm not the best at this, that, and the other. Like you have your own skills, like focus on those and what makes you, you, because you are a beautiful human being. We all go through our ups and downs and things like that, but our trials and tribulations make us who we are. They make us stronger and make us get to where we need to be in our lives. I just heard today something like, let your mess be your message. And I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, man. I, right? I have so much mess. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> That's why I have so much to talk about all the time. I got a lot of mess to Clean up on Isle John. <laughs> well, I just want to end with the idea of, as I'm, as I'm thinking about the title that we chose together, The Power of Race. I think that if we can make race a powerful thing to help us be curious about each other, to connect and talk about each other and to learn about different races, history and, and things like that. I know we can't undo the past, obviously, and we shouldn't because it happened and it has brought us here today. That's not to say there's not regrets from the past, but it, it's done and now we move forward. But if we could somehow make race a powerful unifying thing, whether we're a part of the same race or not, I think that that would be really awesome instead of letting the power behind race be isolation and disconnection. So let's get her done, right? <laughs> get her done. That's all I got to do. I got to say it and then it'll just be, right? All the problems are fixed. That's Is how, that it, how works. it works? Yeah, that's how it works. Don't worry about it. Julie said it. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Thanks for being on, John. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Isn't he fun? He's such a nice guy. He really is like a big, warm teddy bear. I love having a friendship with him and his wife, Julie. If you want to support the podcast, just go to the website, icupodcast.com, and you can click on support the podcast, and that'll show you how you can do that. Next week's episode, you're gonna freak. Are you sitting down? I convinced my therapist to be on my podcast. She's gonna be here next week and sharing some of her wisdom. That has honestly absolutely changed my outlook on life. I'm for real. You're my therapist. We're talking on the podcast. I bet you haven't come across that before on a podcast, have you? <laughs> I can picture people out there that, that tell me how much they love this podcast because it's so real. I can picture them right now shaking their head like, oh, Julie, you took it too far. This is a little too real. But I'm excited. I think it's going to be really cool. So we're going to make history next time. My name is Julie Lee, and I see you.